I'm Tyler Hake, and you're listening to Season 1, Episode 5 of Next Story Up, a smart building services podcast by Schneider Electric. Act 1. Miraculous or Mundane? I had an experience last week, and I'm not sure if it was miraculous or mundane. But we've been getting to know one another over the past several weeks, so I'll let you be the judge. Let's start with the bare-bones definition of the experience. I went to bed in NYC, slept through the night, woke up, took a cab, a train, another cab, and wound up at my intended destination, a customer's office in Baltimore, Maryland. That's what I did over a 12-hour span. Unless you're a settler of the American frontier, in which case, how are you listening to this? Leave me a message in the comments. I don't think you'll find sleeping soundly and then getting from NYC to Baltimore in half a day to be that impressive. But on the other hand, I ushered my physical body through the physical world over that entire time using nothing but digital means and interacting with only one device. I'll explain with a thorough accounting. I went to bed at 10 o'clock p.m. with the assurance that I'd wake up on time by setting an alarm on my phone, and that I wouldn't be woken up throughout the night by activating my ambient noise machine via its connected app. Don't knock it till you try it. I woke up at 4 o'clock a.m., got dressed, and opened Lyft so that I could take a ride to Penn Station. Once there, I showed the conductor my mobile pass to board the train, settled into a seat, and listened to whatever song or podcast I wanted to through Spotify until I arrived in Baltimore. I then opened my trusty Lyft app again and walked into my customer's office. Not impressed? Well, let me try it this way then. I went to Baltimore without a car, sure, whatever, but I also completed a journey that for the same experience a dozen or so years ago would have required an actual alarm clock, a button press noise machine, the dicey proposition of waiting for a cab in Queens at 4 o'clock in the morning, a cash transaction with a cab driver who may not have felt like accepting credit card that morning, remember those days, a physical train ticket, a Walkman, probably about 200 CDs, and another cash transaction with another cab driver. Not excited about that? I slept soundly and for exactly the amount of time I wanted, and then made it to the Charm City in orderly fashion, all by pressing, I don't know, a few dozen command buttons from one device. No? How about this? I made zero decisions. I followed no maps. I made no turns. I made no inquiries. I made no calculations. I made no selections. And I made no actions. And I went from sound sleep in the city that never sleeps to a harbor where everything smells like Old Bay. These things happen gradually, but before you know it, they amount to a lot. How much less mental energy did I exert? How much less stress did I have? How much more work was I able to accomplish because of all the offloading I was able to do on this journey? I guess it is mundane now, but if you step back, it's close to miraculous, and it changes our interface to the world. I'm not ashamed to say this. I can't imagine using a physical map to drive a car. Would I be able to figure it out? Yes. Well, maybe. I don't know. But regardless, I don't have to. I don't know what that was like, but I'm old enough to know that I've seen it done before and understand that that reality was a thing while I was around on planet Earth. Just a while ago. 
But I'm still around today describing the digital reality that this week demonstrated I can go anywhere in the world with simple swipes, taps, and presses while entertained and without making any decisions. But what happens when you open the door to enter the building? How digital is that experience? How do you optimize your experiences and limit your decisions throughout? Is the world inside buildings today much different from the one that we saw in 1992? Must it always be that way? I ask these questions of our next guest. Duval Shah is the senior product manager of the digital buildings division at Schneider Electric. He's been incubating a new digital services business targeting the office workplace in Class A office buildings, which just launched in April, called Ecostructure Workplace Advisor. Workplace Advisor is a suite of digital services harnessing the power of the IoT and big data to help building managers make smart decisions on optimizing space layout, occupant well-being, and facility services. He aims to give building occupants a frictionless experience through mobile apps by which they can engage with their built environment. Duvall spends a significant amount of time imagining the future of building experiences, how to better use our space resources, how to better navigate our facilities, how to improve well-being once in those spaces. He's based in the Boston area, but he's a globetrotter. We were lucky to be able to pin him down for the discussion, which will follow in Act 2. Act 2. It is the set of the sails, not the direction of the wind, that determines which way we will go. Jim Rohn. And with that, let's dive right into our discussion with Duvall. Tyler, your experience of using Lyft, traveling from one city to another, through this massive amount of digital technologies is a real indicator of how our ecosystems are transforming from a digital economy to experience economy. The digital economy over the last two decades enabled several transformations. Communications transformed into a digital style. Our payments, transaction applications became digital. Print all became digital. And now the same digital technology is enabling three things, effective decision-making, new experiences to be created, and new use cases that are possible. So this experience economy, which is trying to create a frictionless, intuitive, and delightful experience for end users, is still powered by digital technologies. And what you experienced firsthand was just an outcome of it. And today we see organizations making a very conscious focus on how they should leap into this experience economy by changing the experience of the customers and shipping it. How do you change the employee experience inside offices and improve their productivity? How do you change the product experience and the service experience and also the brand experience of an organization? So we are just at the start of new transformations of experience economy and we are at the perfect point in time. You're going to be a great guest on this show, Duval, because experience is a word that everybody has used over and over. I understand that the type of thing that you do within the organization really focuses on that occupant and user experience, but really everybody and everything that we're doing in technology is focused on experience. So that's a great start. Experience is important. And if you look at the context of buildings, there are two classifiable personas. Every building, whether it's office, hotel, hospital, universities, there's a one 
classification of people called the building managers that could be head of real estate, yeah. facility manager, workplace strategies, etc. Whose responsibility is just to make sure the building is performing at its best level and enabling the occupants inside the building to have a good time. And the second persona is that of the occupants themselves, which is the employees, the patients in a hospital, a guest in a hotel, etc., who want to have a great experience inside the building. And I think the experience matters for both of them. Even the building managers today are struggling to make data-driven decisions. And that happens to be a challenge because the technologies have not been designed so that their experience of managing the building is seamless, intuitive. And that's where I think the opportunity is on both sides. How do you transform the experience of both the building managers and the building occupants through this new age technologies of IoT, big data analytics, mobile, etc.? A lot of our conversations historically have been focused on that building manager experience. I think it's really refreshing how much closer we're moving towards the occupants who haven't traditionally had a seat at the table when we sit down with end users with how to design systems. And one of the things that those occupants will be doing is finding their way throughout a facility, as they always have. But there's this new concept, or I, I'm not sure you can tell me how new it is, of wayfinding that's often compared to having something like a GPS in a building. Could you describe for us what wayfinding is and, and how it works? Sure. I think we are all familiar and can use the context of using Google Maps to find yep. a place. And if you take that experience, which is evolved, I would say that uh, there are three distinction levels of wayfinding. The first one is a static wayfinding. You know, if you remember the early day of Google Maps where it was just a map and you would be able to get a list of directions yeah, of map which quest, you yeah, take. stuff like yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. Then you all to a blue dot on the map, which was like real time where I am and where I should turn left or right. And that's that called the dynamic wayfinding. And then the third is integrated, meaning how this wayfinding is integrated with other services. When I'm driving, show me a gas station on the way. So that's an integration. Same with Uber, you know, where the car driver is, how far he is from my home to pick me up. So I would say when it comes to indoors and wayfinding, it's relatively a new trend. But if you take this same concept of wayfinding and apply to a building, it doesn't matter. It's an office building, a university campus, a hotel, or a hospital. There is a need that emerges from occupants in the building to find spaces, people, assets. And I think this wayfinding inside the building is almost the same analogy. Static wayfinding is enabled through just digitized floor plan of a building. Yeah. which is uh, pretty straightforward and put up on a mobile phone so that you can search for a space and find the directions from A to B. The dynamic wayfinding is literally a new topic and not many people are aware of. And it comes through a range of different technologies but the most dominant one is called Bluetooth Low Energy, which is like a beacon, which acts like a small GPS satellite installed in the building that radiates signals and helps locate you where you are in a building. And that wayfinding service is used more extensively in places like hospitals, where not every building occupant goes to visit there frequently to find the directions across a maze of different building corridors. It's used dominantly also in universities these days, where you have thousands of students coming in to a campus. And you can imagine yourself having gone to a college and old experiences of finding a classroom and being late for the first yeah. 
uh, semesters. I'm unfortunately so, very familiar with that part. <laughs> yeah, and this is, this is a common experience for myself as well. When I travel to offices around the world, given over Schneider Electrics, I mean, it's quite hard to find which yeah. is the Changi meeting room in Singapore office or Jerose meeting room in the Paris office. And how do you try to remove that friction that are coming into life? Because that wayfinding application of Google Maps doesn't work indoors. And there are some integrations too that are going to become very important. I'll say the third level of integrations in an indoor context is like when I am in a building on a second floor, find me meeting rooms that are around me instead of showing me meeting rooms that are the whole building. Right. And if you think about the extreme level of integration inside indoor buildings, it's going to come from integrations to emergency services like 911. One of the big problems today with emergency services is when you call 911, in the past, they were all coming from landline, but 80% of the calls now are coming from cell phones. And it's hard to determine you're on the floor 40 or floor 60 in a high rise in Manhattan. And when emergency response reach you, they would like to know where they should be able to find you. So this wayfinding application has different levels of fidelity and different contexts when you go from one building type to another. That paints a great picture. When you were talking through the different levels of wayfinding, I was thinking through my head as a, an office worker in a large commercial office building and digital experiences and helping people work better throughout the course of the day and improve productivity. I was thinking of maybe at a certain point, I want to be in a quiet room. Maybe at a certain point, I want to be in a conference room or in my cubicle. And I could match that experience with what I needed throughout the course of the day. That's sort of what I was thinking of in terms of productivity, but that is a really vivid example. I like that a lot. We have to realize that when it comes to buildings, some technologies are going to be horizontal, meaning that services like uh, wayfinding and location-aware services are going to span almost every building type. And if you look at the type of buildings in a given city, of course, office buildings is going to form the majority of it. On typical city, you will find roughly 40% to 50% of the buildings are office types. Office buildings are dominant in any given city. And depending on the kind of experiences you want to create for employees in a building, wayfinding can be embedded into throughout the journey. So let's take, for example, wayfinding in an office building, how it's getting used. So recently, when we launched Workplace Advisor, we had one service called Wayfinding and Geolocation, in which we digitized floor plans of multiple office buildings. One of the big problems with offices and the floor plans is that they're never managed. If you think about pre-Google Maps era, every city had a municipality or some third-party services that was managing the city maps and keeping them up to date. If you look in office, the floor plans are managed by the architect company or the FM services company. And you need to be an AutoCAD designer to be able to manage and change the layouts and planning. Right. And that doesn't happen as frequently because of the complexity of doing so. So we partnered with one of the world's leading companies that does digitization of floor plans as a service. And now we are able to digitize almost any building's floor plans in a way that is standardized across multiple buildings. Just the way how Google Maps looks the same between multiple cities, these digitized floor plans also look the same between multiple buildings. And that's valuable for multiple stakeholders. When I go from building in Andover to building in Singapore, I'm able to find the spaces in that building quite easily. Now, if you think in the other way context as well, with all the transformations coming in with activity-based working, agile seating, where employees don't have a fixed space in a building, yeah. you are 
constantly moving in a building space and you have very little frame of reference as to where you are and what are the nearby spaces around you. Same is the situation for the building managers. Like you ordered something uh, from Amazon or Parcel that's coming to you. The delivery guy needs to know where you are sitting today. The IT guy needs to know when you complain for an issue, where are you sitting today so that I can come and attend to your laptop. So the wayfinding about where someone is or where a space is in a given building is of increasing importance just arising due to the nature of work and transformations coming out of it. As things change slowly but surely over decades, you might not necessarily realize that this is the type of thing that could really help you, but you're 100% right. There are more people that are traveling globally, going to different offices, working in different capacities, hot desking. So there's a, a really, really good parallel between the importance of this type of tool and the way people are working. Talking about Google Maps, one thing that that does for me, it lets me know about things like traffic. Can I use that type of information in buildings either to let me know about how to reduce the traffic or maybe to harness that data in a certain way? <laughs> yeah, I think this is a very good next frontier. If you look at Google Maps and Google traffic now, there are two classification of use cases. So with Google traffic, you have real-time use cases, meaning as an individual, when you want to travel someplace for work, leisure, or drop off kids to school, you can know how busy the roads are. Same is the case for businesses, like delivery trucks can know and estimate how much the fare should be and, and the time to reach a destination. And then there is a second classification, which is historical trending. Based on these trends of traffic data, businesses are able to decide what should be the next franchise location for a drive through where should be positioning the advertising to get the maximum eyeballs. Right. You know, the planners of the cities are able to use it when they have to create a new permit, how traffic would impact because of new construction and how the traffic should be managed. I think you can take the same parallels and put it in the context of a given building. Right. So how the employees are moving inside a building can help to a certain extent understand the dynamics of people's flow in the offices. You know, you could know how collaboration is happening between peoples of different types, which doors are being used more than others. At the same time, you could have some of the services which are quite interesting. And there are models coming up like the services for catering, you know, the wait time of people in the cafeteria or the wait time of employees outside the lobbies of elevators going from in a high rise buildings. If you had as an employee in a building, a tool on your phone that would give you an estimated wait time at cafeteria or how busy the gym is in the building, yep. uh, you would probably benefit from that to say that when I am not at my desk or when I'm in the building, you can track me. As long as I'm in a building, I'm fine to be notifying other employees who are looking for me as well. Also, I would say that uh, the same people flow could be useful for space optimization, right layout and room sizing. So it's more of a, yeah. what's a value that you're able to extract out of this? I think there's also some other cool stories I've heard about this where you're finding ways to generate revenue based on foot traffic. So you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but one example I've heard is conventions. You've got people that set up booths to advertise their products or services, and there might be a way to be a little bit more accurate with how people might be charged rates based on footfall traffic where they land in a facility. I think retail has been a very good example of this. Some of the retailers, like a major Swedish retailer for furniture, was the first one to pioneer that when you go into a retail store, and depending on which areas you are in, and as you are moving towards an exit uh, without attending to some of the areas they would have preferred you to would start to prompt you with notifications of discounts that might attract the occupant to go and visit those spaces. So retail was the first one to use this location aware services and monetize it into commerce. Some 
use cases still where employees can be called by the customers when they're in an island, they need the help. It removes so, that friction like you talked about before. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Retail is a, is an interesting domain that's always high dollar value of experience that needs to be shaped. But I would say that our focus is not so much on the retail side. So we have been mostly trying to figure out how can we shape people's journey inside offices. And that can be done by more means than just wayfinding. And we focused on that a little bit here early in the conversation. What other ways can we affect those experiences that, that get you excited? I say that when you look at data that's necessary in a building to drive decisions or shape the experience, there's a big untapped opportunity. Uh, I'll give you some of my personal experiences and I always wondered why nobody solved it. Okay. Uh, take for example, elevators, right? In a high rise, you are in an elevator and you know the elevator is full, but if there are someone on the lower floors trying to go down in the elevator, the elevator stops at every single floor. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. You just wonder why can't the elevator be smart enough to just shoot to their next destination and that would enable the person who is waiting to have a faster service. This is a problem, not in one building. It's like across the industry. And the technology that's necessary is there already. And it's a matter of how do you make the systems integrate and create an experience. And I see that as opportunities where such experiences can be made much better with the use of IoT sensors and integration of systems and digital technologies between different systems of a building. And I believe there are similar technologies available in the building that hasn't been tapped into. Take, for example, the occupancy sensor in the meeting rooms or in offices, or let's say the meeting room occupancy sensor, which is to be used just for controlling the lighting level. Yeah, this is a big one because it's there for, for the taking in basically every facility. So go on. Yeah, yeah. So if you think about this occupancy sensor in a meeting room, which is today just controlling lighting, just like your, your, your sensor for garden lights that turn on and off and moment is detected. <laughs> yeah. Think about that one sensor. It's so insignificant and cheap, but the ones and zeros that it collects could be monetized in so many ways. One good example is an epidemic issue with reservations in an office space, which are booked by people in advance. But nobody shows up and you always wonder why the office rooms are not available. And when you walk by them, they're empty. So how about taking that occupancy sensors, ones and zeros, and integrating with your reservation system to say that if no one shows up in 15 minutes after a room was scheduled, just prompt the guy, do you need the room? And if it doesn't respond, just clear the reservation. That could avoid so much of no-shows in an office where meeting room spaces is always scare and make the collaboration experience better. Take the same one and zero, and if you could compile it over a day and figure out how many hours was the meeting room used? If it was used for less than one or two hours, could you just share that data to the cleaning staff to just keep that room for cleaning? Yes, I love this one. This is something you have to imagine at a scale where people are cleaning these spaces almost on an everyday basis. And when you compile it over the whole year, it's a lot of efficiency improvements you can do for services like cleaning, which typically operate on single digit margins. So instead of sending eight guys to clean up the office space, could you just know that upfront and probably reallocate two people to do something else? Take the same ones and zeros in a meeting room. If it can be highlighted on a floor plan for the security staff to know after hour movements, if you find that people are still occupying meeting rooms in the evenings after hours, most likely your security guy would have missed that because it's behind closed doors and he's not going to walk through those spaces. There is so much monetizable value 
that comes from that simple occupancy sensor in the meeting room ceiling, which generates ones and zeros. And that data today has been trapped in a building management system. And that data needs to be more readily distributed to other systems to leverage the value of data and generate better experiences, to generate better decision-making, and so on. So these ones and zeros, and I love the way that you refer to that, by the way, What's the term that's being coined for, for that end of things? We, we talked about wayfinding. What, are we, what were we talking about right there? When we look at buildings in general, Tyler, there are four major impacts. I typically classify them from the point of view of monetizable impact. So you could impact how your spaces are being used in a building. Yep. You can optimize the well-being and comfort levels inside a building. That's the second area of impact. The third area of impact is the employee experience or occupant experience inside a building. And the fourth area is the facility services. For example, something like Workplace Advisor, which is intended to be a suite of digital services for office buildings to impact in those four areas. There are multiple services which cater to some of the benefits. Let's get into some of the resolutions and understand who benefits from all of this great technology. We talked about facility management. We talked about the occupant. How, what, what's attractive about this to a building owner or a, a real estate developer? Hmm. I think that's a very good question. How does these technologies help and benefit different stakeholders in the value chain of a building? Correct. And I think the occupants' benefits are quite easy to understand as we all are occupants in the building. And there are some benefits which facility managers, head of real estate, etc., get it. But let's take a step back and look at what's the value chain when the building is active. You have an occupant that is the employee of a building. What the employee wants is what the company, real estate head, is going to need from that building. This is what a property owner who leases that building has to provide. And what the property owner has to provide is what the real estate developer has to build. And what the real estate developer has to build is what the architecture engineering design firms have to conceptualize and specify. And what the architecture engineering design firms specify is what the general contractors need to install and put together. That's what companies like Schneider need to develop as technology and solution building blocks that contractors can use to build the whole smart building experience. So if you look at this smart building value chain, it goes from end to end, and there is a role that each of the stakeholder plays. And I would say that the property developers and real estate owners are constantly looking at how to attract tenants and how to gain a premium on the pricing of the real estate that they have. In the past, it was all about location. An office building that's near to a train station was probably enough to gain a premium on real estate pricing. Now it's more about what the experience could be crafted for building occupants and how that building is energy efficient, more healthy, and an attractive place that appeals to the talents inside the building to work. So I would believe that the property developers and real estate owners are becoming quite aware of this need of that potential tenants and trying to construct the new office buildings, keeping in mind those services that needs to enable those experiences. We had Bobby Joe Provost in our second episode of the podcast, and she said something very similar. She said she learned in school that real estate was all about location, 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 and now it's becoming more about technology, 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 but that's also a way of saying it's really about experience. Absolutely. I think in this new shift that's happening in the, in the workplace, 
And this is an interesting report that came up from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce was around how the industries inside North America has transformed from the 70s to the industries today, which was earlier days of uh, very focused on manufacturing capital intensive industries to now more of a service oriented industries, which is completely driven by intellectual capital and to attract and maintain that intellectual capital that is employees you need to enable them with an environment that is conducive for them to be productive. I think this is where the war of talents is happening now. And it's more obvious in the finance, banking, IT, consulting, insurance sectors, where the offices in those segments are becoming more like a five-star uh, <laughs> hotel offices, where the experience of employees to work is much evolved compared to the offices that you're used to in the early 2000s. And it's just so obvious from the stories that you've told through this conversation, the ways that those workers could benefit and become more efficient in what they do. So that's terrific. From the customer's perspective, who actually makes the call in investing in, in this workplace technology and, and how do they go about doing it? I think that's a very interesting question. I would say that there's no one single person who is responsible for cutting the check and making the decisions here. Because when it comes to the workplace, it's a more of a collective decision making, although the budgets might be coming from the head of real estate. But if you look at a stakeholder map for workplace solutions, typically you have one major stakeholder that is head of real estate who has the second biggest operating budget after HR which is to manage the facilities. And he is the one who is the ultimate decision maker. But then there are so many end users and influencers in this decision making that would be typically your workplace strategist, the person who decides the number of meeting rooms, what the layout should be with architect and designers. They are also the end users and very much involved in the workplace experience of employees. I'll say that IT is becoming actively involved because of the connectivity, data, uh, governance, and integrations into to the ecosystem of the workplace. And HR, mostly from the well-being point of view and the concern of how employees will experience this kind of services. So those are the three main from an organization. And many a times, some organizations would have delegated the facility management services. They would be involved in from an execution implementation point and also become one of the active beneficiary of the data that comes out of this kind of services. That term active beneficiary is really interesting because everybody technically is an active beneficiary. I think the stat is that Americans spend between 89 and 92% of their lives indoors. So we all are active beneficiaries and we can see the benefits of making our own workday better. Absolutely. Can't agree more. The value of data is when it's tapped into multiple times. Take, for example, the same Google Maps. Today, it's being used by so many people that it just becomes easy for someone like Google to give it away for free. So the the comparison that we've made with GPS and Google Maps today, I think, is, is really cool for wayfinding and also just for a different way to conceptualize things that we've always done. In the future, will we look back at building experiences without using IoT data and all the things you were talking about today in the same way that we now look at travel without GPS and digital enhancements? <laughs> I would say, Tyler, if you had to go to a city and you just found out that the city didn't have a Google Maps, no. Yeah. <laughs> It's the same reaction you would have five years from now when you have to go to an office or a building that's not digitized. Or the same experience would be for an upkeep of a building or an experience of employees when they know that building is not digitized already. Part of the reason is that the human lives in our homes or yes. our outside of the office place 
has been so much disrupted with the digital technologies and experiences we have that it's becoming now a necessity for these workplaces to transform and make their workplaces better. I mean, how often do you find people just complaining about their work environments are not as great as their home offices and would prefer to work from home instead? It's realistic because the one analogy I give uh, or one believe I have is that personally for myself, I commute to work to work with people remotely. So if the workplace experience, which is um, outside of my engaging on the phone calls with people and collaborating is not that great, the motivation to go to an office is, is, is reduced significantly. I was stunned that you said five years, but you're also correct in that the expectations change so fast that five years is actually a really long time, especially when you think of who's entering the workforce and comprising the largest percentage of the workforce and what their expectations and requirements are. Tyler, I would say that five years is more from market maturity point of view. There's always early adopters. And if you look at today, some of the new offices that have been built in places like Paris, London, even in New York, they have started to deploy this kind of technologies. We would see in the next three to five years, a massive transformation in how the buildings are conceived to be used, designed, and that would impact also the technologies that come into play that transforms overall the ecosystem of the decision makers, the building managers in general, and the building occupants. You have been full of such good information and stories throughout this conversation. I was wondering if we could finish with you letting us know what excites you most about being in the building technology industry, and also you know, maybe using that as an opportunity for us to summarize the big points here. I would say that the building technology industry in general, you know, it's a blue ocean for technology and business innovation. And the impact one could have in the life of millions of people through these solutions is just massive, right? And that's what motivates me. And when you look at the building industry, there's a huge untapped opportunity to improve the experience of people occupying this building or people managing these buildings. Simple things such as space, well-being, facility services can be optimized is just phenomenal in the terms of the dollar impact you can have that financial business cases are becoming so much easier to create and the timing could not be better if you look at any industries to bloom it's also ecosystem readiness so we have people who are demanding for this kind of technologies and solutions. We have technology that is maturing to the ultimate levels now that it can be deployed at scale. And it's much easier today from the economics, uh, financial business case to rationalize so that adoption is no longer hindered by ROI. And that's what collectively makes me motivated that this industry is just going to go through an exponential growth in the next three to five years. Like all the other interactions I've had with you, it was enriching, rewarding, and exciting. I really appreciate the time. Thank you for the stories. Thank you for teaching us so much today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Tyler, and excited that I have more people joining this journey. Our personal building experiences are on the verge of becoming as tailored and digital as the experiences we have when traveling between them. We will be able to get where we're meant to go within spaces and along paths that are designed and optimized to deliver us what we need, when and where we need it. 
Before I learned about the type of world Duvall is uncovering, I never thought of it as possible or preferable or desirable or interesting. Frankly, I just never thought of it. And maybe your eyes have just been similarly opened. Hopefully. That's why we're doing this after all. But the truth is, sometimes we need this kind of push. The longer you're immersed in a reality, the more accustomed to it you become and the less you realize its nature. We'll turn to aquatic nature to illustrate how this isn't true just in buildings, but also the environment, and also how we power our societies. The water's warm. Dive in and take a swim with us in the next Story Up. I am so excited to develop, produce, and host the Schneider Electric Next Story Up podcast, and most importantly, to share it with a listener like you, possessing the same interest and passion in promoting smart building services for the benefit of all. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I'm Tyler Hake. I go to baseball games with my with my dad every year. It's something that we always do. And every year for 20 years or however long I can remember, he complains nonstop, incessantly, I would say, about the wait time in the concession stand line to get a, you know, a hot dog and, and a Coke. And <laughs> well, I would say that... Um, are you going to fix those... that for him? <laughs> problems are, are, are epidemic almost everywhere, you know. And it's, it's, it's a problem that... Um, you know, how do you solve that today is, is a, is a million-dollar, trillion-dollar question.